0: Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. Why don't you look at somebody and say something. Tell them how good they look. Then you may be seated. I tell you what, these lights are bright, aren't they? What if I move my pulpit out there? (laughs) Amen. I'm so glad to be here. Thank the Lord for your presence and the privilege, the honor, the opportunity the pastor has given me to share with you uh, some of the things we put in our last book. The the subject I want to talk about tonight is the chapter on peace. I think that's appropriate and needed in a time in which we are living, because it is a time of chaos, a time of confusion, a time of trouble. And when I was praying and putting this all together again, there was something else that came to my mind that as as well appropriate i think a lot of you don't remember because you're not old enough but uh some of us remember the 1960s the 1960s was a unique decade uh in the in america it was one of the most troubled decades in modern history and i know that the one we're presently in is surely a troubled time as well, of course. But in the 60s, there were riots. There was marches. There was rebellion against authority. And it produced, this period of time produced a lot of those professors that are in the colleges today and teaching our young people about liberalism, socialism, feeding today's young generations the quote-unquote virtues of socialism. It was a decade in which our young people were found carrying around signs that said, make love, not war. The Vietnam War was going full blast, and so there was a a great uh, rebellion against the war. It was known for the loss of virtue by so many of our young people who became caught up in a sexual resolution, a revolution of that, that decade. It was at close of that decade in 1969 during the month of August, August the 15th through the 18th, that they had what was called the Woodstock Music Festival. It was held on Max Yazger's Dairy Farm in Bethel, New York, which is about 40 miles southwest of Woodstock. It was billed as an aquarium exposition, (laughs) Three days of peace and music, they called it. It attracted some more than 400,000 people that gathered in this place. It rained a lot or rained some and it was a muddy mess. It was the decade of the Volkswagen van that became so popular for the youth who wanted to be free from responsibility. They lived in dirty clothes and with dirty bodies long matted hair on the young men and unkempt, dirty hair and clothes on the young girls. One of the famous and favorite agitators and leaders of that rebellion was a man by the name of Saul Alinsky. Alinsky had a tremendous influence on the youth of that decade. And sadly, we are witnessing those events of the 60s that are being replayed today as we witness what's taking place in so many cities in our nation. And what adds to me, what adds to the sickness of the rioting and marching and lootings and burning of the establishments in so many places is the fact that leaders, the governors, the mayors, in too many places are just sitting back in the confines of their office and saying, let them do it. Let them do it. In the 1960s, this saw Alinsky, who advocated and challenged the youth to act as they did. Today, we have the issue of racial inequality that's being pushed forward as the reason for the rights and the damages. They use the slogan, BLM, Black Lives Matter. But those poor, ignorant young people don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. They don't even understand what BLM means, or well, I guess they think they do. But why? Why? Where is it? What's the reason behind this? BLM, the Black Matters Lives, uh, Black Matter, (laughs) Black Lives Matter. Let me get it straightened up. Is supported by Marxist, socialist, communist agitators. And one of the main instigators and supporters is a man by the name of Soros, a billionaire that is spending millions of dollars trying to reshape and revamp America. He is helping to to, uh, elect officials in states. He tried his best to do something about electing a woman by the name of Hillary. He is behind this. The Black Lives Matter main instigators or whatever, uh, officials, if I may call them that, have been given millions of dollars to support their cause. And our young people are being swallowed up in the enthusiasm, the excitement, just like Woodstock. Let me share with you just a few comments here about Saul Alinsky. He was an agitator. He was a promoter, a programmer. He made this statement in case you didn't know for sure where the statement come from, came from because you've heard it, uh, quoted uh, more than once among the politics. A fellow named Rahm Emanuel liked to refer to it during the Obama administration. Never let a crisis go to waste. Never let a crisis go to waste. Another thing that probably a lot do not know, or some at least do not know, is when Barack Hussein Obama decided that he could become president with the support of people like Soros, no doubt. Anyway, where he made his announcement that he was going to run for president was in the home of Saul Alinsky. So you get an idea of his fellowship and communion and Companions. Change means movement, Olinsky said. Movement means friction. True revolutionaries do not flaunt their radicalism. They cut their hair, put on suits, and infiltrate the system from within. It reminded me of Nehemiah and the enemy that wanted to build with them so he could destroy. He said, if you push a negative hard enough, it will push through and become a positive. He also said, Amarcus, and these are some of the comments that he put in his book, Rules for Radicals, Rules for Radicals. He said, Amarcus begins with his prime truth that all evils are caused by the exploitation of the proletariat, by the capitalist. From this, he logically proceeds to the revolution to end capitalism. And then into the third stage of reorganization into a new social order of dictatorship of the proletariat. Uh, and uh, finally, the last stage, the political paradise of communism. Change comes from power, and power comes from organization. He said, Those are, who are most moral are furthest, farthest from the problem. He also said in his book, Action comes from keeping, keeping the heat on. No politician can sit on a hot issue if you make it hot enough. One more quote, please. In the beginning, the organizer's first job is to create the issues, our problems. That's what's happening today. They blame it on uh, coronavirus, COVID-19. I think a lot of it's hogwash, if I may use a good Southern Missouri expression. I doubt for one second that there has been as many deaths because of COVID-19 that they say they have been. I doubt very, very seriously, very, very much so. But it's a a tactic of of fear. It's a tactic of oppression. It's a tactic to control and get control, if you will, Again, why are they tearing down statues? What's, what's the statue of George Washington got to do with coronavirus? They're tearing, what they're trying to do, and what they're attempting to do is tear down our past, right. obliterate our history, right. so that they may present a new lifestyle, forget the past, re, remove it from our lives. Well, if it hadn't have been for a George Washington, we wouldn't be here today. If it hadn't have been for some of these others, the statues which they're trying to tear down, uh, we would not have the liberties that we possess today. It is a trouble time. And I said all that to say this, even though there's trouble and chaos and confusion, you and I don't have to be a part of it. You and I don't have to allow it to interfere in your home, in your family. You're a child of God. You've been washed in the blood. You've been buried in the name. You've been filled with the Spirit. And that Spirit has sealed you unto the day of redemption, as Paul said in Ephesians 4 and 30. So in the time of turmoil and confusion and problems all around us, You and I, if we could only acknowledge it and realize it, but then grasp it and embrace it, we have peace that the world doesn't have and that the world cannot give to us. I chose Luke 14, 27, where Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. And I pray, oh God, may we accept this profound statement personally and wholly and grasp it with a realization that what Jesus said 2,000 almost years ago, it's just as real, just as precious, and just as valid as it was when he spoke it that day as Luke recorded in 1427. It's ex- this common uh, expression, or it's common among the Hebrews, peace, peace. When Hebrews meet one another, they say, shalom. In fact, it's shalom, hello, and shalom, goodbye. There's something about it. There's something about peace, peace. When there's storms around me, I got peace, peace. Yeah. Let me share with you something that a man by the name of Stanford, Dr. Stanford, wrote. Peace I leave this is the language of legacy, and implies, number one, that he would live after he had died. A legacy implies death, Hebrews 9:16. Number two, the principle of grace, he gives grace is not the same not the name of wages for work, nor of reward for merit, nor gain by conquest, nor of what we receive on the principle of so much for so much. Number three, the deity of the giver. Reconsider what is meant by the peace of Christ and then ask yourself if a man could give it. And number four, last, not as the world giveth. The world can only give what it has to give. And the world gives fitfully. There's no dependence on the world. The world gives in order to get. The world gives to take away again grudgingly. And delusively. And then he concluded by saying, in, or another, uh, excuse me, commentator by the name of Barclay said, in the Bible, the word for peace, shalom, never means simply the absence of trouble. It means everything which makes for our highest good. The peace which the world offers is in the peace of escape, the peace which comes from the avoidance of trouble and from re- refusing to face things, Barclay said. But that's not the peace that you and I have. We're not running from trouble. No, we're not running. The Jews didn't run from the fiery furnace, and Daniel didn't run from the den of lions. Amen. Amen. How very applicable it is for this verse for us in the time that we're living. I know every previous generation has had their time of problems and troubles and and they have been there have been those that said this is the worst it's ever that it's ever been i remember and i wish i could find it it's probably back there somewhere i got two or three books in my office and pages pages of paper so it's got to be there somewhere but many years ago i cut out a little article that it it told about how terrible the kids were the young people were rebels and just went on for a long 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 time it describing the rebellion of the young people and then it told who it was it was socrates (laughs) it was trouble back there folks but today it's more modernized because of technology Another reason that we have to make such a claim is that no previous generation have the shadows and dangers of terrorism and death been so near to each and every one of us. Never before has there been a stockpile of weaponry grown to such an extent that there's too many nations that possess them powers that could, be destroyed, could destroy uh, a whole city or a whole country practically in just a short while. One way for us to look at the subject of peace is that the child of God has rest that the world doesn't possess. Amen. Listen to the word of prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 57 when he spoke about the condition of the wicked. 57 verses 19, verse 19, I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace, to him that is far off and to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. There is no peace. Philippians, Paul said, I know this is, a familiar uh, passage of Scripture for most all of us. Paul said in Philippians 4, beginning with verse 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus. And finally, brethren... Whatsoever things are true, that's where we need to be. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, and whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, and whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. I copied some illustri- books, of, uh, illustrations in a, in my office, and one of them is um, gave an illustration of night, Walter Knight, and I thought I thought it's appropriate anyway. You can think whatever you want to think, but anyway, he said concerning this idea of peace, he said in the North Atlantic, icebergs are often seen in the winter time. Ships sailing the Atlantic. Are often caught in violent storms. Mighty vessels are tossed about like chips by the mountainous waves. How different it is with icebergs, like majestic white castles, not the hamburger kind, they glide placidly through the heaving seas. They are defi- defiant of the mighty waves which are hurled against their towering walls and glistening heads. They do not bob about like a cork because, because, and here's the key, because the lower part of that iceberg is deep in the ocean where it's calm. In fact, they said only one-tenth of that iceberg is above the water. So if that cliff of ice is 100 feet tall, there's 900 feet under the water. That's where we are. That's our security. The storms are going to gonna shake you, of course. They're going to move us. They're going to try to topple us over. But, oh, I, mm, you see, I'm only about that, about that high above the iceberg and the troubles. Mm, I'm, from there down, from there down, it's Jesus. Uh Uh-huh. It's all the way, Jesus. It's Jesus on my shoulders. It's Jesus in my heart. It's all the way. It's down to my feet. When we become anchored in Jesus Christ, we become hidden in the security of his divine presence. The storms of life beat against our frail bark. They are powerless to seek us in the troubles of life. I'm standing for Jesus. I'm standing for the Lord. Amen. Amen. See if I had one of those punch things, I wouldn't get in that kind of trouble. But you see, you remember what happened the last time I tried it. Uh, There's an old song that says, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not. Be, I shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the waters. I shall not be moved. Why? I'm anchored in Jesus. I'm anchored in Jesus. Anchored in Jehovah. And well, that's enough singing. Now, Paul said in 2 Timothy 1 and 7, for God... God has not given us a spirit of fear, (laughs) but he's given us power. Uh He's given us love. He's given us a sound mind. It's this kind of peace that you and I, children of God, possess peace. And don't let the devil tell you otherwise. When you're in the storm, don't let the devil whisper in your ear and say, you're not going to make it say, devil, you're a liar. Greater is he that's in me than, than your, your, your great big host. Another time years, many years ago, and I remember this, so I didn't have to look and look it up and try to find it in my office. But I remember meeting years ago, and I think the young man's name was Loeb, L-O-E-B, I believe, but don't quote me. But Anyway, as a young man that he was very energetic, very, very, very uh, looking forward to uh, a good life. And he took the time very wisely. He took the time to sit down and order what he thought that if he could just have this, he would be fixed for life. Everything would be just like. He listed six things, health, love, talent, power, riches, and fame. And he put it down. He was so proud of himself, he put it down in that order. Health, love, talent, power, riches, and fame. And he took it to what he called a wise elder. I don't know, he didn't explain what that wise elder was or who he was, whether it was a preacher, a man of God, or just somebody that he respected uh, highly. But he took it to this wise elder, and he said the wise elder looked at his list and told him, said, young man, it's a good order. It's set down in good, in, in good order, but there's one thing that's lacking, and without this one thing, your list becomes an intolerable burden. And Mr. Loeb said he took a pen or something and scratched out, marked out what he had said, what he had listed, health, love, talent, power, riches, and fame. And said he wrote three syllables. And he said, without this, your list is an intolerable burden. Three syllables. Peace of mind. (laughs) A lot of rich men don't have it. A lot of famous people don't have it. But, oh, (laughs) my, this cotton picker from southeast Missouri, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. (laughs) Peace. Peace. I'm going to go to bed tonight. Press my pillow. Well, before I do, I always sit on the side of my bed and I look up to the corner of my room. I say, Lord, that's about the way I do it. One more day. Thank you. And then I lay down and see about getting to sleep. See about it. Doesn't work all that time. But anyway. (laughs) Uh, this, this implies uh, to us that we have a security that this world doesn't have. Yes. And it does not apply that the child of God, that we don't have problems. We do. In fact, quite frankly, probably the child of God may be confronted with more problems and troubles than that, that drunkard out there, that harlot out there. Because we're, in, we're in, the, in the hands of the master and the devil doesn't like it. So he's going to try his best to get us back. But I'm not going back. I'm not going back. We have the troubles and problems of life. But the difference is that as a child of God, we have a refuge. We have a refuge to run to to it. And and, and some of you are maybe thinking right now that beautiful psalm. You've heard it quoted here uh, just recently. Psalm 61. Remember that passage where David said, hear my cry. O Lord, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth, even Medora, will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, what do I do? (laughs) Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. We're going to go through our valleys of despair. And disappointment, we're not excluded from those experiences just because we're a child of God. Can I share you another uh, something I read from Mr. Knight that fits right here as well? Let me sit this down and get it out of my way. Uh, Mr. Knight, he gave uh, another illustration. I thought it's kind of a lengthy one, so bear with me. But he said there were two artists that uh, were called upon. To paint and put on, on canvas their concepts of what peace is. What peace is. And he said, one artist painted a, a placid rural scene in the center of which was a country home. Adjacent to the home were fertile fields with an abundant harvest. The undulating, undulating roads stretched in different directions from the home toward the horizon. A lazy haze hovered over glen and dale. One could almost hear the rustle of the ripened wheat that swayed with the kiss of a gentle breeze. Isn't that poetic? A friendly sun shone upon the blissful picture of calm and contentment. And cows lay lazily under a shade tree, chewing their cuds. Did you ever watch a cow chew a cud? That was this artist's description of what peace is. Well, the other artist, he did it this way. He gave a totally different concept of peace. He described a destroying tempest raged in his painting. Trees swayed to and fro on the storm lashed mountainside in the valley. The sky was ominous and gloomy. Relieved only by the zigzag flashing of lightning. A roaring waterfall lunged furiously over the precipice. Working disaster in the valley below. Why? Why could the artist call this violent, turbulent scene a representation a representation of peace? Because on a rock, projecting from that cliff up there, sheltered by an overhanging boulder, sat A little bird calmly on her nest, seemingly unmindful of the howling storm or the raging waters which plunged downward nearby. There the little bird sat in peace with no fear, unperturbed and undisturbed. That's peace. When the storm is raging about us, we can just find a shelter somewhere and say, Jesus it's in your hands. I've got peace. Everything's going to be all right. Amen. So in, in this old world, God's people live and move and have their beings amidst the scenes and turmoil, tribulation, strain, stress, storm, immediately their hearts, our hearts are, and minds are kept by the ever deepening peace and calmness of God's presence. Aren't you glad you live in Medora or in this area? I know some of your countries out in the country, your country Higgs, but, but we're living in a, in a, I'm glad I'm not living in, in, in Seattle war in Seattle. I'm not, I'm not living under Blasio and did you know Blasio when he was a young man, when he got married, their honeymoon was in Cuba. Reminds me of Mr., what's that, what's that old fellow that ran for president? Bernie. Who? Bernie. Bernie, yeah, Bernie. You know, did you know Bernie, when he got married to his woman, he, they went to Moscow? That gives you an idea of what we got up, yonder, folks. I wish we could rent a, uh, Anyway, I wish... <laughs> I wish we could vote out the whole bunch and, and start all over, would you? Just not with the same kind. Or oh, that they knew Jesus. Or oh, that they could sit at the Medoic Pentecostal Church. Or oh, that they could feel what you and I are privileged to feel in our soul. In our text, John 14, 27, Jesus assured us that it was His peace which He gives to us. He said, Not as the world giveth. Remember the phrase, and uh, <laughs> In fact, in my notes here, I put in parentheses. Well, maybe you don't remember it, because a lot of you wouldn't. But there was a phrase back under, a phrase way back under that said, "The war to end all wars." Now that was back in the back under. That was about World War I. and y'all don't know about World War I and World War II. It's probably not even in history books here now. But how many peace treaties? And they signed a bunch of them past past, uh, peace treaties that were signed in our lifetime even, that were broken almost before the ink dried. It's not his peace that we have. If it's not his peace, if it's not his peace we have in our heart that can only come through repentance, it can only come through water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, it can only come through being filled with the Holy Ghost. If we don't have that, that what peace we may think we have is, is, is not real. It's not genuine, not as the, this old world has, not as the objects which men commonly pursue and call peace. It's not like that. No, we found something that is genuine, not as the world gives. They salute you with an empty and flattering words, but their professed friendship is often reigned and has no sincerity. This is real I'm talking about. This peace is part of the package that the child of God experiences when we were born again. As Paul so wonderfully and plainly described it for us in Romans 14 and 16, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's... Well, I thought we had a bunch of scriptorians sitting here today. (laughs) The, P- the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, it's peace, it's joy in the Holy Ghost. Woo! <laughs> you have the Holy Ghost. You have the Holy Ghost. You have peace. You have the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you have righteousness. Mm-hmm. And you got joy. It's interesting. The Bible is not put together uh, just haphazardly, you know, sometimes we write things and we don't get things in the order that we'd like to. And we look back and say, well, I wish I'd said it this way. The Bible is not like that. There's purpose the way it's written. Every word's in its proper place. And if you'll notice what Paul said, that the kingdom of God's not meat and drink, but it's right, righteousness, and then it's peace. And then there's joy. <laughs> when you get right with God, you have peace. And the peace that God's given you produces joy in your life. You can shout when the storm's going on. You can shout and say joyful things and expressions to God when the wind is messing up your hair. Righteousness and joy. Galatians 5 is where we have the fruit of the Spirit mentioned, and this as well is so applicable. It begins with love. It's got to start there. It has to start there. If we haven't got love, forget the rest. But it begins with love and then there is joy and then there is peace. And again, the, the, the order. Mr. Clark said, The calm, quiet, and order which take place in the justified soul instead of the doubts, the fears, the alarms, and dreadful forebodings, whichever true penitent less are more feels and must feel till the assurance of pardon brings peace and satisfaction to the mind. Peace is the first sensible fruit of the pardon of sin. I've got to skip something here. I'm running out of time. Peace by peace by its definition. Think about it. Peace by its definition means a relationship. But we may say, well, I have peace with myself. (laughs) Peace from what? Peace speaks of with whom? Peace speaks of with whom? You know, we can say, I got peace myself. What do you, you know, no, no, it doesn't work that way. From what? Peace is not alone. It's like love, if you will. Love is not alone. You can't say, well, I got love. How do you you know you got it? When's the last time you hugged somebody, even in this time when we live? When's the last time you, you, you gave some expressions of thanksgiving to your brother or sister in Christ? Peace that's described as being from Christ. It is his peace that's given to us. As the Hebrew writer put it, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. We're in this together, folks. Right, we're in this together. I need peace with you, and you need peace with me, and we all need peace with God. The writer speaks of follow peace with all men, and and peace peace is not something we were born with. Right. You ever heard somebody say, "Isn't that baby look? It's so peaceful looking. That little young and it's so peaceful looking. Uh-huh. Well, you wait a few minutes when it gets hungry." Wait a little while till that diaper gets full of, you know what? <laughs> See how peaceful it is then. Amen. Oh, my, why did I say that? But <laughs> Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty three the God, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as all the churches of the saints. It is of interest, and I don't think it's by accident, again, that uh, these things, these, the way it's worded is accidental. Love, in the proper biblical sense, speaks to us of a unique relationship that's pure, it's uncontaminated by greed or envy or strife. It speaks to us of a condition of being like Adam before he sinned, naked, and there were no no shame, Uh, having no secrets, if you will. It's such an atmosphere and relationship that we know and experience peace, peace like Oh, river. It's an experience that's difficult if it's not really impossible to explain. It's not unlike receiving the Holy Spirit, which leaves us with feelings we never knew existed. And feelings that really is indescribable if you try to tell somebody what it's all like. This peace produces within us feelings towards others that were unknown by us before. With the love that produces peace in our heart, we now may know how to truly endure the long sufferings of life. If love is absent and not manifested by our actions, and if we don't offer patient, long-suffering to others, then it's obvious we don't possess that word in between, peace, peace. In such a case, we need to come and have an Ephesians moment in our life when John wrote to the church at Ephesus, the Lord bragged about what they had done and what they had not done. But then he said, I've got somewhat against you. You've left your first love. Not lost, you've left it. You've left it. And I want to say to us here tonight, if you'll stand with me, the love is still there. Maybe it hasn't been, freshly demonstrated in a while but it's still in your heart it's still there that peace is there again maybe you've been troubled and you've been frustrated and hurt and disappointed in these last five months and they tell us it's going to get worse again uh, if you don't believe it ask Mr. Fauci I haven't seen this scarf lady before or for a while But I tell you, I don't care. I don't. I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about the peace God's given to me through the storm. I've been through one or two storms in my life, and I'm still here. I'm still feeling what I felt, and I'm going to feel it tomorrow by God's grace. My child, my fellow pilgrim, you have a peace. A peace that passes all understanding. That's the way Paul put it, wasn't it? I'm so glad he got that light. Peace that passes all understanding would keep your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com.